Thank you for listening to Made to Be, a podcast exploring the surprising professional paths of extraordinary women in business. I'm Kristen Berman, co-founder and CEO of Philly Made Creative, a marketing and media production agency. Listen as I facilitate powerful conversations with women who are masters of their crafts, learn about their journeys and just what it took to become who they were made to be. I was doing sort of my initial um, initiation to Intel and going around the world, meeting the different uh, marketing organizations. And I was in a meeting at a slide of a, I couldn't even tell what it was, it was a B with a computer on it popped up. And I, and I thought, oh my God, we're making robot bees. I was like, this is a disaster. Like this could not be a good idea. Hearing the phrase artificial intelligence may conjure ideas of self-aware computers running the world. But have you ever considered that it's the people who create the algorithms that are programming biased decision-making? In this episode, I interviewed Teresa Hurd on the challenges she faced in her career as former VP Global Creative Director at Intel, including what it was like to work with Lady Gaga. Today on Made to Be, we have Teresa Hurd. Teresa is a global creative consultant, formerly a VP global creative director for both Staples and Intel. And she has also been recognized by AdAge as one of the 50 most creative people in the world. She's also the co-host of a new podcast, Advice, where real businesses call in to get real advice on branding and advertising. Teresa, thank you so much for being my guest on Made to Be. Pleasure to be here. All right. So I want to get started. Why don't you let everyone know what is it that you as one of the most creative people in the world do? Oh boy. Um, <clears throat> well, that, that's a really good question. Um, I, I am sort of figuring that out now. I have been um, working on the brand side of the industry now for I'm not going to say how many years, but a lot. And um, I think I was probably one of the, uh, first involved in one of the first in-house agencies before in-house agencies were cool. Um, and ha, you know, made that decision to go inside just because, um, I always wanted more data and as a creative, <laughs> that's a little bit hard to get on the agency side. Cause they're, you know, they, they get what is given to them by companies who don't always make that a priority. And so, um, I freelanced it at um, Staples years ago and I was like, oh my God, this is where all the data is and loved it and, and loved being able to figure out real business problems for big corporations. I know this wasn't your question, but just bear with me. Um, so uh, then I did a very similar thing at Intel, but for a completely different business. And, um, you know, right now I am, uh, I'm consulting um, I'm, I'm picking up some really cool projects. I'm working with Australia National University uh, to launch an artificial intelligence institute um, down there. Uh, and I'm working with some companies to help them sort out uh, what a in-house model could look like for them to see if it's right for them and, and how to size it and so forth. So I've got a lot of really cool things going on right now um, you know, across you know, branding and, and housing. That's really great. I mean, at the risk of talking about this too much, if you could please let people know, what, what was it that you did at Intel? You created this in-house agency. What happened there? And how did you get to where you are right now? Um, <laughs> so 
I, all right, so I went to Intel about four and a half years ago and had worked with a CMO in a previous life. And um, he brought me over as a chief creative for Intel and, and also to start the in-house agency. And he kept telling everyone, bring in all the work in-house. And I said, please stop saying that. Like, I don't really honestly know what Intel does exactly. And, you know, I'm not sure an in-house agency is right for them. So, you know, g- give me a beat to get there and, and, and really look at the business. And so he, he did give me um, the, the better part of a year to kind of fully um, uh, architecture the, the organization. Um, so, yeah, I, I um, sort of established and, and built the in-house capability as well as ran um, creative for, for the global organization and went from about 95% of the work being done externally to maybe 40% of it being done externally. Um, but we also had 1,500 agencies globally. So you can imagine what that did to the um the brand consistency, right? When you have that many hands touching, touching your brand. So, you know, I, I, w- I developed a uh, global campaign with McGarry Bowen that we then executed globally across all of our channels, across all media. Um, and that kept me pretty busy for, <laughs> for, you know, the majority of, of, of my time there. Um, the agency went from about five of us in the beginning to 85 plus another, give or take 30 to 40, um, you know, uh, freelancers or contractors. And, um, you know, we did, we did everything from, from TV, but not a ton of it. Cause that was largely went to the external agencies, but, um, a lot of storytelling. There's so many cool stories to tell, uh, at Intel because of, you know, where their technology lives and in all the things that they have powered. So, um, I really built an organization that was, um, expert storytellers, um, for the most part, and could take, you know, what what the the overarching idea was, and, and bring that through, um, you know, all the way down to to, you know, whatever size asset was needed. But much of it was brand storytelling. Can you tell us about bees and backpacks? <laughs> That's like one of my favorite pieces. So, um, I was doing sort of my initial um, initiation to Intel and going around the world meeting the different uh, marketing organizations and I was in a meeting and a slide of a I couldn't even tell what it was it was a bee with a computer on it popped up and I and I thought oh my god we're making robot bees I was like this is a disaster like this cannot be a good idea and then they explained what it was it was using our technology to track um, bees and, 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 you know, track, you know, what their habits were and how they were getting sick and, you know, why they might be dying. Cause we know that there's a bee crisis in the world right now. And, uh, my first reaction was we'll stop putting computers on them. And I think that they will live longer. They did not appreciate that, but, um, it was a really cool story. And so I sent a team down to Tasmania to shoot that story. It was really the first piece of content that we made internally and then I saw all the other stories uh, and the potential for other stories out there. Um, and it was kind of, it was the piece that made me think like, wow, we can, we can do some really important work here and work that uh, is impacting the world. And so that piece for me um, still remains one of my favorites and, um, you know, was the piece that, that I think helped define what the agency was going to be internally. 
What did it take for you to get that first piece of content? Was it an easy sell for everyone in the organization that needed to have that buy-in or did you take a risk with it? I think the biggest risk was us doing it internally. I mean, they, Intel had been doing some storytelling um, along those lines. And so it wasn't like, oh my God, how can we how could we tell a story like that? But I think trusting that I had assembled a team who could pull it off um, as well as, if not better than an external agency, um, I think that was where the, the trust had to come in. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was very fortunate where I had the, the, the backing of the CMO and the CEO and they, and they trusted that I would do the right thing. And, you know, the piece, I, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a pretty great piece. Um, and I was able to do it for significantly less um, than our agency who had been doing that type of work before. So um, I, I, I definitely did a lot of things that were <laughs> much more risky than the bees with backpacks uh, piece. Um, but it was, it, for me, it's like when everything was kind of in place and I had the you know, systems and process at least together enough to pull something like that off internally. So I guess there, were, there was some risk in that, but the, the story itself was not, I don't think was particularly risky. What do you think was one of your most challenging projects while at Intel? Um, I don't even have to think. It was definitively um, doing the Grammys with with Lady Gaga. Um, you know, I, just because just because Gaga, but um, <laughs> it, you know, it was totally. We were the first uh, brand to. Um, actually sponsor a performance. So, you know, the Grammys sponsored by Toyota or, or whatever, you know, they're, they're paying just to be associated with the Grammys, but we were the first brand to actually go in and sponsor performance. And, um, you know, celebrities who are on the Grammys often kind of, they're like, well, I know how to do this. I show up like, you know, whenever before the Grammys, I practice and then I do the Grammys. And we were literally live time developing technology, um, for her performance and she might have picked different songs throughout that process that you know, or different artists to um you know for her performance and then unfortunately david david bowie died and um that was just you know a few weeks before the grammys and i just literally waited for my phone to ring and uh her her manager called and said and i was like i know she wants to cover david bowie and he's like yeah so you know, it was a lot of, um, you know, real-time development and a lot of changes that happened, um, you know, leading up to literally the day of the performance and a lot of fingers crossed because the technology that we had created, you know, we hadn't really done that type of thing with before. Um, so, uh, you know, it was probably, and it was so visible, you know, it was such high visibility, Every, you know, so many eyes on, on, on the Grammys that, um, and we had, we ran an ad right before her song. Uh, so leading into her song and then one right after her performance to kind of take credit for it. And that, that media was locked. I was like, Oh my God, if this technology, if we didn't pull this technology off, um, you know, it would have been a, a very visible, uh, a very visible, uh, oops. So thankfully everything did, did work out and the performance was great. And we got a ton of impressions and all that, but it was, it was months of, um, you know, biting my nails for sure. Yeah. And then a big sigh of relief after when the, yeah. when the second commercial is airing. Yeah. And then I went to Cabo. I was like, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Were there any projects that you worked on that maybe didn't go quite that smoothly? 
you know, everything was perfect. <laughs> Just like life. It's all tied up in yeah. a bow. Um, I, I don't know. None that like really stand out as, oh my God, you know, what a disaster. I think, you know, when you're in this industry long enough, um, you kind of get used to calculated risks. And, and I certainly took a, a, a lot of those, but there were, there were, not many that really, really like, oh my gosh, what, you know, that was a disaster. But, you know, I think, um, I, I had assembled a really, really great and expert team of in-house folks, as well as a really, really great and expert team of agency, external agencies that, um, I just really trusted and, uh, made it my mission to make the work successful regardless of who made it. And I think, you know, today we hear this debate about internal versus external agencies. And um, I'm like, I want this, this, that, I didn't allow it. Like it wasn't something we talked about. I was like, we're, you know, I don't care where the good idea comes from, quite frankly. And once we've decided who's going to make it, I will do everything within my power to make it great. You're listening to Made to Be, a podcast featuring extraordinary women in business produced by Philly Made Creative. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you believe you or somebody you know should be featured as a guest, please email made to be at phillymadecreative.com. I, I heard a podcast that you were on where you talked about one of the people you were talking about access and access to ideas and you, you know, being an Intel, there's what a hundred thousand plus employees, yeah. uh, you know, being an internal agency of under a hundred, how could you possibly keep up with everything that there was one of your, uh, I believe one of your staff members would ride up and down the elevator listening to conversations. He would, yeah, he would ride up and down the elevator and then like, look at their name badge and like a couple of days later, I called me like, hey, I heard you're working on this cool thing. Can we, you know, I, I, I think going into it and even now I'm like, God, I wish there was just a repository for cool stuff we were doing, you know, and I think any company who uh, is innovative um, wishes for that or any agency who has to work with a company who's, who's innovating because you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you just look through the files of cool innovations and tell stories about them. But, you know, everyone is doing their job, right? Everyone is busy innovating or making or, or, or what have you. So that it's not like a, it, you know, it, that stuff often didn't get handed to us. We did have to seek it out or like the bees with backpacks, you'll be sitting in a meeting and, and you hear about something or find something out or, um, you know, you get calls from people to consult on, on creative projects. You're like, wow, I didn't realize that we were doing that. Or, you know, like we did, we worked with the Royal Shakespeare uh, company on their 400th um, anniversary a performance of the Tempest with um, a live avatar, which again, I don't think had ever been done. It was amazing, you know, um, but that happened, you know, again, in a, in a similar way where, where someone just came to us and like, Hey, could you guys help? You know, we're doing this. Thing. I think they, I think they asked for graphics. They're like, we need some graphics for this. And I'm like, well, what is it? And they're like, Oh, they were just creating a three story tall live avatar for the Tempest. I'm like, Oh, just that. I'm like, could I, could I tell that story? I'm like, Oh, Sure. And so, you know, like it just didn't occur to them, like maybe people would be interested in that. So yeah, we, 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 we were definitely opportunists. 
I think that's really great. You know, we, we work with more small businesses or startups. And one of the great things about that is being able to have sort of that access and, and understand what is it that they're trying to do throughout the whole company. And I can only imagine at Intel, all of the different pockets of projects going on, uh, so such a wide range of things. Is there any of time, was there any a time where you just thought, I'm really just living in the future here? Oh, 100%. Like I remember when I got there, uh, again, not not totally understanding everything that Intel did or everything that Intel powered. And I felt like the president, when when the president gets in office, they take him into like the secret room and tell him all the scary stuff that he actually has to do. You know? uh, but they, they, you know, the first month was just being indoctrinated into <laughs> all the stuff that they were doing. And I went into um, this, it was a perceptual computing lab where the computers could basically see you and interact with you and recognize emotions and all this stuff. And, and I think it's becoming much more, you know, the norm now with, with devices. But at the time I was just like, Oh my God, I literally was like, where, where are the flying cars? I know they've got to be around here somewhere, but totally. I think um, it was really uh, very cool to, to, to see uh, where Intel was um, really help, helping to shape the future. And, 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 and really actively doing so, you know, they, they are in, um, they're in so many things, but they actually work with those companies to come up with and develop the right technology for those companies, um, to make, enable them to do the thing that they need to do. So, um, the innovation was, was amazing. And, and I, am I feel confident that, uh, our future will be pretty amazing. Um, if, if Intel continues to be inside. I hope so. I, there's a lot, there's a lot of, when, when I heard the, the bees in the backpack story, I thought of the black mirror episode. Oh was that, I, yeah. Tell me about it. When I saw that episode, I was like, Oh my God, we're doing <laughs> terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's black mirror, uh, for me was like all the things that in Intel, if they didn't like do it right, have an ethics committee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Every time, because they always, the black men, they lull you into thinking like, well, that was a great idea. Look at it. It's secure. And then, you know, you know, in, in three minutes, there's going to be some terrible turn. And I'm like, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. So, <laughs> and the people at Innovation and Intel know how far they can go. That's and, right. And because of Black Mirror. Right. right. <laughs> I'm convinced they co-write it. Yeah, it could be. It could be. So I think that's really incredible. You've done so many amazing projects. Has this always been something that you've wanted to do? Was be creative in your life? Um, I, I, I uh, yes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't take, know. take us back to to what your mom wanted you to be. She definitely want to be a doctor for sure. Um, and I, she, I, I don't know, she wanted me to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. I don't remember, but, but I grew up thinking I was going to be a doctor. And, um, then I had a art teacher who told my parents during a parent teacher conference that, um, that I wouldn't be happy being a doctor, which my mother heard as she, she can't be a doctor and <laughs> gave that teacher a, you know, a, a word or two. And, um, but it was true. I, I don't think I, I, I mean, I don't know if I probably, probably couldn't have made it through medical school, but even if I could have, um, I really did enjoy um, art. And uh, ultimately, I think, so I studied medical illustration and it, I think that that has served me really well 
throughout my career, oddly, um, being able to take something that's very complex um, and explain it in a way that people can kind of understand it and and, and um, apply it to their their lives. So whether that was um, you know around a procedure or drugs or or what have you, um, I you know I, I definitely did the same thing when I was at Intel. You know, and and could take something pretty complex and explain it to to the masses. So does that sort of seem like how you would wrap up? what you've been doing. You've got, you've, you went to school at RIT for medical illustration, and then you were at, you were at a few different firms that were specializing in medical advertising and marketing. Mm -hmm. And what was it that had you made the switch to going to Staples? Uh, my, the agency that I was at at the time, the, the medical pharmaceutical agency I was at got bought by a consumer agency and um, they kept me, which was great. And that's where I learned sort of a lot about consumer um, advertising and, and, you know, mass media and production and all those sorts of things, which then I think enabled me to, to take the role at, at Staples at the time. I think, you know, for whatever reason, there's not a lot of um, moving between pharmaceutical and, and consumer advertising in, in, in the industry. And I think I was, I was really lucky and um, was a bit of an opportunist when I was there to, you know, find a place to, that I could, you know, offer something to the, to the agency that they maybe didn't have. And, and so, uh, you know, they kept me on and, and that enabled me to, to take my next step. And I freelanced for, for actually for a while before I took the job at, uh, at Staples. And when I took it, I was like, ah, I'm not ready to go on client side and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then I went up there. I was like, Oh, this is where all the information is. <laughs> okay. I'll do that. So what was that like for you making that switch? Um, it, it was actually good for me. I think, you know, a lot of people who knew you were like, Oh my God, you're never going to last on the corporate side. And, you know, where do you see all the bureaucracy? And there, there definitely is that aspect to working on the, on the brand side, but, um, I kind of do well with rules oddly. And, um, you know, to have, uh, the infrastructure and operations of a big company, um, and, you know, taken care of. So you, those are just things we didn't have to worry about. You know, you don't, not having to think about HR or IT or any of that stuff that sometimes when you're in certainly a small agency, you're like, Oh my God, my computer won't work again. And, um, to have a big company kind of take care of that. Uh, so I could just do the thing that I like doing, you know, so I could just focus on the work and not really have to worry about, Oh, is the, is the company going to do okay? Is it, are we going to be in business? And, Stables at the time was like $13 billion company. By the time I left, it was a $20 billion company. So those were just not things you thought about, you know, certainly different than um, consulting uh, and, and working on the agency side. You know, you have to, you have to really consider a lot of that stuff or worry about a lot of that stuff or you're responsible for a lot of that stuff. And so um, while I had to learn how to get stuff done, um, once, I, once you figure that out for me, it was actually really good. And and what was it like? I mean, you say you were in this, you know, massive company and you like the rules. Was it easy for you or was it difficult for you to navigate the, or were there, was there much uh, sort of politics amongst the leadership? Uh, no, there's never politics in corporate America. Um, it, I sense I, some sarcasm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, um, I think when you're, you're a little bit more junior, you're not 
kind of privy to that. And you, you know, so for, for several years I was, I was an ACD. So I didn't, I was just like doing my work. Um, and you know, as you get more senior, I think you, you do get drawn into it. I think it's unfortunate. Um, I think it's a distraction. Uh, and, and I, I guess I wish it were, you know, I, 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 in, in other parts of my career, um, I just kind of thought like, well, I'll just keep doing the work and keep doing good work that performs. And I, I won't necessarily have to worry about the politics. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, that will be true. Um, it's just not something I like to spend time doing. So, um, I just always tried to focus on the work. I'm like, well, you know, let, that's great that, you know, there can be the struggle or that struggle. I mean, I think you certainly have to know where to align yourself. Um, but I really was about the performance of the work. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely out there and, and alive and well, but, um, just again, not, not something that I, really tried to focus on or spend much time at. Did you ever find it um, challenging as a woman in business at that, at that scale of a company? Um, for sure. I, I think it's, it's not necessarily just the scale of the company, but it, you know, both Staples, both Staples, Intel and advertising are all fairly male dominated, you know, industries, certainly at the senior level. And um you know, I, I think in the beginning, you just, I don't know, I, I was just like, look, I was really focused on doing, again, I'm focused on doing the work and I didn't really think about it. Um, you know, and, and then sometimes you'd see something happen and you're like, well, that doesn't seem right. And then you, you, you know, it would, it would cause you to reflect on your own condition. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm also, um, you know, gay and out and uh, that, you know, that was a decision I made after I, after I did come out, um, I, I had been in an agency and it was really hard. I really did think it was going to impact my, um, uh, potential or, or, you know, it, you know, may slow my, my progression down or something. And I think once I got past it and got a little bit more senior, I took it on really as a responsibility to the, the community, to the gay community, um, to be a voice for them and to, um, help pave the way and, 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 um, you know, bring a face to LGBTQ, um, and, and a voice that, that wasn't there before. And, and, you know, homophobia, uh, is alive and well, unfortunately. And, and, um, you know, so being a gay woman, you know, yeah, it was, it was hard. It continues to be hard. And I think, you know, a lot of companies like Intel are, are trying to make a difference. You know, they had huge diversity goals, um, hiring goals that they have met, which I think is great. Um, you know, but, but I think there's, there's definitely a way, ways to go, uh, from an inclusion standpoint, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, it's, it's one thing to say, look at, look at all the women we brought in. Um, but you know, what, what women are in senior roles and what boards have senior women. And, you know, so, uh, I, I you know, I think I, I tried to, um, enable women, um, in, in both of my big roles, just because I, you know, I feel it's my responsibility. Um, and then again, you know, with, with the gay community to try and, which is harder, right? Because you don't, you know, it's not as, it's not always obvious and you can choose to be out or not out depending on if you feel safe or not. And, and if people don't feel safe in an environment and they're not bringing them, you know, their full selves to work, um, 
it, it's it's sometimes hard to to, to recognize. So I, I tried to make um, at least my group very inclusive, very welcoming, very um, supportive. Um, I don't think it was perfect, but I think um, I think we did a pretty good job. What are some ways for for people who are in a management position that you found was was effective at creating that sense of inclusion? I think um, I think just talking about it. You know, I think also um, hiring, and it, it, it. I think you you know if you are. I hear this so often. I think people are like, well, it's really hard for me to hire diverse candidates. So, you know, so I didn't, it's not for this one. Okay. Well, not for this one either. Okay. Well, not for this one. And at a certain point, I think people have to stop and be like, okay, you were fishing in the wrong place. Like if, if, you know, because it's, it's, it, yes, it's sometimes hard because I think some of those industries are not necessarily, um, you know, maybe doesn't attract as diverse an audience, but I think we then have to figure out like, okay, well now where, where can I go to, um, to encourage, um, you know, people of different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and so forth to, to want to join this organization because, you know, a diverse, um, workforce is, is definitely better. I think, um, you know, being vulnerable to some degree, um, even with your own stuff. I think we, we, we all have stuff, right? Like we all, we've all, you know, no one's grown up in this world and be like, well, that was perfect. Look at all that. Um, so I think being, being somewhat, um, you know, authentic and being vulnerable and, um, really asking the question I learned, I learned a really hard way. I, I had a, um, she, she, she might listen to this. Uh, I had a, a African-American admin, and she left and I, you know, I was like, what, you know, what, what, why, why are you leaving? And, and I think I thought initially like, well, you know, she found a better opportunity. And, um, you know, when she left, she, she told me some things that I had no idea about. And I was really, uh, I was shocked. I was upset. I felt like I had failed her because I didn't know. And um, I didn't ask. You know, I didn't ask, like, I would be like, Hey, how's it going? And she'd be like, great. And then I just assumed that she was great and she was super upbeat. And so I, I didn't, I didn't know, but I didn't really ask, you know, I didn't really say, no, no, how are you doing? Like, how was today? How was last week? How, you know, what, you know, I, I, I did not provide an environment where she felt like, um, she could tell me or wanted to. You know, I think she, you know, she ultimately did. And I think she was also afraid that I would run and like, you know, strangle some people uh, on her behalf. But, um, you know, I did, I didn't provide an environment. So I, you know, I took, I took it really seriously. And, um, you know, I, I, I really put a focus on, on diversity and inclusion and making sure that people's voices were heard. And it's certainly, again, it certainly wasn't perfect, but I think you can't say, yeah, we're going to just hire a bunch of diverse candidates and then both sort out how to assimilate. That's, you know, and then, cause then you're burdening the minority again. Right. So I think as, as leaders, we have to figure out how we can change to make environments, um, that where people can thrive and where people want to be. I think a lot of times we feel like, um, it's incumbent upon the people, the people who are coming in, um, who might be a little bit different at, well, she's shy. Well, this is not a shy environment, so they better speak up. You know, it doesn't work like that. Like, how do you invite people into the conversation? How do you, how do you make sure, um, those people who's you've hired for their voices, those voices are being heard.
So let's maybe flip it a little bit in, in getting at the perspective of the person on the other end of that, you know, what are some ways that maybe someone who is in the position of the admin who maybe isn't having such a great day or great week or having that great experience, but doesn't feel like there is this, uh, this space, this environment to, to share with their, their manager or their superiors. Mm -hmm. What are some, some things that you would say to encourage that person? Um, gosh, uh, you know, I think if it's, if it's an environment, if it's, if it's not a healthy environment, they should go like literally, like if, if, you know, and I, again, I wish I, I had, um, taken different steps with, with my admin and, and, you know, I redo a lot of things, but, um, I think, you know, if, if it's truly not healthy for you, like there is no good reason to stay, but like, just honestly, if it's like, Hey, I really like this company. These are a couple things that I, I have to think that, um, there's, there's someone out there who will listen at Intel. They had a thing called the warm line and it was a, a it wasn't a, like a, a, uh, ethics line or anything like that. It was literally a line that you could call and say like, Hey, I'm, ha I'm struggling with this. I, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble. Those people would listen. They would, they would give some, you know, consult, uh, and, and so forth on, on how that person might, um, address the situation. But I guess I would hope for, for all of those people that there's someone at the company that they can speak to. There's someone, um, whether it's an HR or it's a friend who's in a different group or who can then connect them with someone who might be able to help. Um, but I think it, you know, if, if, if you can speak up, um, that, that is how change happens. Um, and again, when, you know, when I was in the closet, you know, the thought of coming out was terrifying to me. So if someone had said like, well, just tell everyone, like there's an it just wouldn't have happened. Um, but, but once I, once I did come out, you know, again, I felt a really big responsibility to the community to be, to be vocal. Um, so I think, you know, try and find someone who you can trust, who you think might be able to help you, um, or at least listen to you or, you know, and, and sometimes that, that, that might be all it takes to like, Hey, they just wanted to be heard. Yeah, I mean, for for a company that is training uh, artificial intelligence and <laughs> creating those those human biases within the machine learning, I mean, well, so that so that's why I'm actually working um, with A and U. Uh, so they're they're starting. It's called the Three AI Institute, and it is literally uh, to help manage the deployment of AI at scale. It's not. It's not. Um, training people to write AI or, or to do the tech part of it, but it's to ask those critical questions um, about uh, the systems that are being created. And, and, and for both, you know, to, to, yes, safeguard us from having bias hardwired into uh, our, our society, but also, you know, how do we get the, the most potential out of AI for good? Um, and, you know, I was, I was really attracted to that um, as a just being so important um, for our future, uh, and I was asked to help go there and, and lead the branding and marketing um, for for the institute. And I it didn't. I mean, the, I don't even think that uh, Genevieve Bell is leading. I don't even think she got it out of her mouth before. It's like, yes, I'll help you immediately. Uh, so um, yeah, I think there are some people who are asking those critical questions. Um, and, and they need to be asked because you're right. It's, it's, uh, once it becomes, uh, you know, the data that is informing 
the machines, um, it's, it's a big deal. Or how do you define success for yourself? I, I think especially in, in advertising, there's a lot of really cool advertising out there, right? There's a lot of cool ads. There's a lot of cool. Now it's all about, you know, experiences and, and, you know, how, and I think a lot of it is, is, is super interesting and, and the innovation in the space I think today is, is, is great. Um, I, I, you know, that doesn't always mean that it, um, performs for the brand. And so that I think for me was, um, you know, when, I worked on projects where I could literally see the success. I mean, this is going to sound like, so I worked on great things. I, I, you know, I worked on the easy button for, for staples and that was great. And, you know, it performed better than any campaign ever had. And, and, you know, we, we rode that thing for eight years. It was wonderful. Um, you know, we, at, at Intel, um, you know, I developed the campaign with you know, Jim Parsons as, as a spokesperson and that was really great and performed better than any, but you know, there are, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. Um, I worked on an email uh, at Staples, I think it was to sell chairs and we sold like $2 million worth of this chair in, uh, by sending out an email. And I'm like $2 million for it. And the companies, they go their whole, their whole existence and don't make $2 million. So one email sold $2 million. So, so, you know, I, I, the, what was the ROI on that? How much did that cost? It was like a nickel. It was just like a nickel. And then they, so it was like two, $1,999,000. It was, it was, it was crazy. So, um, you know, for me, I, I love the storytelling part. Like I love, you know, beads with backpacks. We did a whole series, um, with that particular technology is called Edison. And you know, for me creatively, I love that stuff. But when I, you know, you know, I, I am typically hired to make, um, advertising and branding that work, that works really hard for companies. And that, you know, that, that stupid email <laughs> that sold $2 million, that was a huge success. Um, but, you know, creatively, the stuff I like to do is stuff that I love to do is, is, you know, is, is that storytelling someone recently, I've, I've had the pr privilege of working with a lot of really great talent. And someone recently asked me like, so who do you, you know, who do you want to work with next? Or what are directors? And I'm like, I, I don't probably some guy named Joe, you know, <laughs> who's, who's doing something great and, and changing the world um, because of, you know, something that, that they've come up with or an idea that they've come up with or deploying technology in a different way or something. So it, it's, for me, it's, it's the, it's the authentic stories, um, about how we can have a positive impact on the world rather than like, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to work with this director or celebrity or whatever to me. It's always nice to have your game elevated when you work with really, really amazing talent and, 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 and performers. Um, but, you know, I'm just as much, I, I love telling those, those, those little stories that have a big impact. What are some of the next things that you see for branding or uh, advertising? And how do you see that small or mid-sized businesses can sort of stay ahead of that curve and, mm. and be competitive? Um, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, personalization is, is, where a lot of, um, you know, advertising is going to go data, data and personalization, um, precision marketing. So I think, you know, big companies will be able to really take advantage of that, right? Because they're going to be able to do some of this stuff at scale. Um, 
for smaller businesses, you know, I, I, I think um, figuring out how to be in the right place where, where their customers are and fishing where their customers are um, is, is really important and talking to them, um, you know, when, when they are in the right headspace and mind space to, to, to hear your message, um, you know, whether that's on social media or, or, or some of the other platforms, I think there are, these platforms are enabling small businesses to have a voice as well. Um, and, but I think it's really intimidating and daunting for some stuff. It's like, Hey, I'm a woodworker. What do I know about, you know, this LinkedIn or this, what is this Twitter? So, you know, I, it's, unfortunately, I think, you know, when, when you go into a small business, you have to become a master at things that are outside of your expertise. Right. So it's, you know, yes, you're, you're a woodworker, but in order to, um, get your message out there. You can't, you know, technology isn't going away. Um, and I think we do have to, um, people have to be open to adopting it and, uh, you know, it's going to continue to change. So I think being on platforms and in places where, uh, you can really target your message to your potential customers, um, as much as, you know, I know a lot of people are, are a little bit adverse to it, but that is kind of where things are going. Great. Well, thank you for that. Do you have any uh, last pieces of advice for women in business, whether they are in a managerial level or they are owning their own business or they're sort of figuring that out? Is there any last, any one thing that you want people to be left with? I think, I think to like now is the time for women. Um, I, I am, I am in, as, as much as you know, you see stuff happening and, me too movement and everything, but I feel like women are really starting to, to find their voices and to use their voices. Um, and I think it's a really exciting time for women. Uh, I think it's a little bit scary because, you know, it's like, well, how, how much do I put myself out there? How, you know, do, if something has happened to you, do I talk about it? What if, you know, what if it backfires? And it's really hard, but I think, um, now also is the time where hopefully there, there is some enlightenment happening. And now is the time to, to really um, show the world what you have and, and uh, you know, trust your, trust yourself, trust your skills um, and, you know, really push for what we all deserve, you know, and, and that, that is equality and that is equal pay and that is um, in the same opportunity. So I, 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 I am, I am hopeful uh, for the future. I think the other thing is support other women um, sometimes I think women can be, you know, not as supportive as, as you would kind of think sometimes. I'm like, wow, like, you know, we, we, we are all in this together. Um, and really to, to help one another. Um, and if you see someone who's struggling or even if someone's done something where you're like, well, that wasn't cool, you know, stop for a second and think about where they might be coming from or what they might be struggling with. You know, we, we all have challenges and struggles and um, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day or maybe, you know, you know, we, again, we, we, we are often in these positions and places where we're, we're not the majority. So, you know, before we judge, you know, think about like, well, maybe, maybe I can help her. Um, and, uh, you know, I think yeah, together we are, we're definitely a force. And, and I worked on the women's March, um, when, when it was first getting, you know, getting off the ground and boy, I saw that group of women come together, like nobody's business. And they pulled that thing off in, you know, in record time. And I think when, you know, when we are focused and when we are working towards something, um, we can get so much done. Uh, but I, we have to support each other. 
Great, great advice. Thank you so much, Teresa. I really appreciate your time. Again, thank you to Teresa Hurd. She is a global creative consultant working on artificial intelligence and all kinds of really amazing things. So Teresa, thank you for being on Made to Be. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Made to Be is a production of Philly Made Creative. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you like this episode, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or Anchor, and stay tuned for future episodes.